Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you. Thank you for joining me today for this episode and lesson in our series, Treasures of the Nativity, Enjoying Biblical Gems of Jesus' Birth. Today, I want us to continue in our series that we have just begun recently, in regard to Christmas and the Christmas story. And I want us to look at lesson three today, accuracy of the time. In the first lesson, we talked about how God is the ancient of days, the keeper of the time clock, and how he makes everything perfect in its perfect and appointed time. So he is an on-time God always. Then in lesson two, we talked about the fullness of time. When the time clock started, and was set, and when it dinged, so to speak, and all was ready, even working throughout that whole 4,000-year period to bring God's living words to pass, and none of them failed. No dud seeds in God's Word. As we've seen thus far, God controls the time clock of all chronology of what we call history, and the prophetic word that is sure. I want to read a couple of passages from Peter's writings as we begin today. I want to first start out with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 through 25. And it says this, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Now I want to turn over to Second Peter, and I want to look at chapter 1 and read verses 16 through 21. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Or in some other versions, it says the sure word of prophecy, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So we see here, Peter is telling us that the word of prophecy that has always been written, the living word of God, from time past, proves and grants evidence to the promises that are from of old. There's no dud seed in the book, in other words, no dud seed in God's word. All and every one is trusty, sure, and certain. And today and through this study, 
We'll see how even history proves that. Every word of God was alive the whole time. We saw that the last time, in the fullness of time, when we looked at that. There wasn't a dead seed. None of the words were dead. They were just perhaps what we might say dormant as they were working during that time and awaiting the time, the perfect time, the appointed time, the exact time when they would come alive again, when they would burst on the scene and they would be fulfilled. Every word or promise that God has made is alive and well. And it was so even for the whole 4,000 years from Genesis chapter 3:15, The proof is in the pudding. The evidence proves this truth. Now I want to consider this as we look at the accuracy of the timing of God in history. When did the actual timer ding in regard to the nativity of Jesus that was in its perfect and exact time? exactly perfectly. And we want to talk about that some more in coming episodes. But today I want to explore what this meant in the best way that we can from scripture and from history's verification and proof. I want to start out by looking at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. And it says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So we're talking here about the Christmas story, so to speak, the Christmas, the reason for this season, the birth of Jesus, his nativity. In Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Then in Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So these are some of the beloved scriptures telling us about Jesus' birth. Today we want to focus on the timing and the accuracy of that timing in history of the chronological record that Matthew and Luke give us. So we know that his birth, we're told in all of these passages, both of these agree that it was in the days of Herod. This Herod was Herod the Great. There were a line of Herods that ruled a dynasty, so to speak, that was partially hereditary and partly appointed. They would be appointed by the Roman emperor 
and approved by the Roman Senate or the Roman leader. The first of the Herods was Herod the Great. At his death, his government was split into four, tetrarchs, they called them, four of his sons. There was Herod Archelaus. He became king over Judea and Samaria from 4 BC or so, Herod's death, which is debatable, could be 1 BC, and we'll talk about that later, to 6 AD. So roughly a seven to 10 year span or so. He is the one that's spoken of in Matthew chapter two, when Joseph had to flee to Egypt because Herod the Great was going to try to kill the babies. And then the angel came to him in Egypt and said, you can go home now. And so he ends up coming back to the land of Israel, finds out that Archelaus is ruling in the area of Bethlehem, Judea, Samaria area. So he goes up to Nazareth. As we can surmise, the trip to Egypt was probably not even very long at all. Maybe not even a year. Definitely no more than a few years at the most. Then we find out about another son of Herod, Herod the Tetrarch, or Herod Antipas. This is the one that was ruling in Galilee and the one who mainly interacted and saw Jesus at his mock trial through his crucifixion. This is the one Jesus called the fox. This is the one that had John the Baptist murdered earlier in Jesus' ministry. Then we have Herod Philip, who was another tetrarch. He was the other son also who shared rulership in Israel with Antipas. He's the one mentioned in Luke chapter three, verse one, in the days of John the Baptist's official ministry in that area. Later on, we also find Herod Agrippa I. He was the grandson of Herod the Great. He was the Herod of Acts who murdered James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee. And he sought to persecute and possibly execute Peter by putting him in prison as well. We read about that in Acts chapter 12. Then later we find out also about Herod Agrippa II. He's the Herod of Acts chapter 24 and 25. He's the one who helped save Paul from imprisonment or possibly death in Jerusalem at the hands of the Jewish people, the Jewish leadership. He's the one that allowed Paul to defend himself and to preach the gospel. He was the last of the line of the Herods because he fell out of favor with Rome after him. The Herods, all of them, basically became puppets of Rome. Herod the Great, the one that was in power at the time of Jesus' birth, reigned from 37 or 36 BC until his death. And many accounts, many historians, many things that you will read account for his death being at 4 BC. However, we're going to see some things today, and I do personally believe that it's more like 1 BC. But this Herod the Great overthrew the Hasmanian Parthian Empire, defeated them, overthrew the Hasmanian dynasty in approximately 37, 36 BC. He had sided with Antony and Cleopatra over Octavian until Octavian defeated Antony and Cleopatra and then Octavian was designated 
as Caesar. He became known as Augustus Caesar by Rome. Some have said that there was a transfer of power then at that point from the Senate rule in Rome to emperor rule in Rome, that the Roman Empire actually began then. This may be debatable. This is historical information. But Octavian became known as Augustus Caesar and was promoted to become a Caesar. Herod the Great ruled from about 37 to 30, 37 or 36 BC until his death, which we believe we can surmise might be even 1 BC. The Bible verifies that he ruled and that he ruled in these days, in the days of Jesus' nativity. Herod, some have said, may be considered partly Jewish. He was really an Edomite, an Idumeum. His father was Antipater, and his mother was a Nabataean woman. So there really may not have been any Jewish blood in him at all, but his father had converted to Judaism in the 2nd century BC, and Herod was born in 73 BC and died at his death either 4 BC or 1 BC. Historians can disagree somewhat on that. We're going to look at that again. He was not a true Jew from blood, but more of an Edomite or an Idumean. He ruled as governor of Galilee from 47 BC until 37 when he became Rome's king of Judea. He was an egomaniac. He was very paranoid about losing his kingdom. He even killed his own sons and his wife. He was very wicked, and he would not abide any threats to his rule, which is why he was so disturbed by the Magi, because he felt threatened when they mentioned a new king being born. And therefore, it led him, because of his paranoia, his envy, his egotism, to end up killing babies in Bethlehem by killing his own family, his own sons, and anyone else that he considered to be a threat or that he didn't like and wanted to kill. This is fully agreeable with his character and his paranoia that he would have killed innocent babies in Bethlehem, two years old and under, were the ones that he killed, all because of his paranoia and his egotism. He sought to win the Jewish favor politically. He would embellish their temple greatly. He's the one that took the temple that Zerubbabel had built when they returned from the exile in Babylon, and he embellished that. He enlarged it greatly. He made it much more beautiful. He sought to gain favor with the Jews with other perks, and he built many buildings in Israel. He also brought somewhat of economic prosperity to the people there. And he would try to defend them in other foreign lands, etc. The Bible tells us also that in these same days, there was a Roman census that was required in these days. Some have tried to challenge this census, but it is supported even in another place in Scripture, in Acts chapter 5, verse 37. Acts chapter 5, verse 37 speaks of the days of a census, speaking of the Roman census. We can find in historical records that there were several Roman censuses. 
When was this one? Some have challenged Luke's account, linking this with the birth of Jesus, because the main census that's identified with Quirinius was in 6 AD, well after Jesus' birth. However, when we look at Luke's account about this census from the passage that we read in Luke 2, when it says about this census, this decree that went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world would be taxed, all the world would be registered in this census, it says in verse 2, this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So some have tried to challenge it for that reason, because they say, well, that census occurred in 6 AD, well after Jesus' birth. However, in that passage, we look at several things. First of all, the Greek word that Luke uses shows that the great historian Luke would make it clear which census he was speaking about. He said, it first came to be. It first took place. In other words, it was first in order or sequence. The first one that happened during the time that Quirinius was in a governmental position. Historical sources also show that Quirinius, or also called Cyrenius in the King James Version, was ruling and preferred by Augustus Caesar in the Syria region during the time frame of Jesus' birth. He could have been appointed at that time to conduct this earlier census and then reappointed later for the 6 AD census spoken of in Acts chapter 5. Some say he may have ruled Syria even twice. The first one from 4 BC to 1 BC or somewhere in that time frame. And then again from 6 AD after Archelaus and forward. Luke also used the Greek word hegemonio instead of legatus, showing a rulership, but not necessarily the governor type of ruler at this time when it mentions that Quirinius was governing Syria. This kind of ruler was similar to the kind of ruler that was a prefect of Judea, meaning who Pontius Pilate became later on, not the same as the governor or king in Roman governance. Another point of reference is that Luke refers to the governor of Syria as Quirinius because by the time of Luke's writing, the people would have known who he was talking about. Not necessarily that Quirinius was in the rulership of governor of Syria at the time of this first census, but he did become governor of Syria later ordering the later census and was known at the, as the governor at that time. Similar to speaking of, say, General Washington as being engaged in a war long before he was ever known by people to be called General Washington. These are some of the research points that I have researched and found out. And I just mentioned to you a few of these sources. One is an article titled Luke, Quirinius and the Census, found on Apologetics Press website. Also, I've researched in several commentaries, Chuck Smith's commentary, Barnes' commentary, and Thayer's Greek lexicon. 
Bible study tools also points out that Augustus Caesar also liked to appoint a hegemoneo, or a ruler or governor for himself as an emissary over certain territories, regardless or in addition to the people that he may have positioned in place to actually rule in that place. Quirinius had been in the Syria area and fighting for Rome with Syrian people and troops during the time frame of 14 BC through the time of Jesus' birth and very likely was also considered by Rome and Caesar as ruling or governing in Syria, exactly like Luke said. This census was decreed by Augustus Caesar, Octavian. All the world would be registered, taxed, or enrolled, and it was for taxation and assessment purposes. A few different censuses were decreed over this time in Roman rule. Research indicates that this census, decreed in the days of Quirinius, governor of Syria, was about 6 BC, and in the timing of Herod's death at about 4 BC or 1 BC, as we believe, fits the two-year timeline between the birth of Jesus and the Magi's visit to see Jesus, to worship Jesus. I've gotten into much more detail about the Magi's visit in Matthew chapter 2 in my Babylon to Bethlehem series that is brand new as well and is now up on these channels. So you can look that up if you like. It's a four-lesson series. Other researchers seem to think that it was about 4 B.C. and Herod's death is closer to 1 B.C. when this time frame of the census was occurring. Dating Herod's death becomes key also because of the Magi's visit and the flight to Egypt for Jesus and his parents. Most tradition seems to believe it was 4 BC. However, other research and credible historians, including Josephus in their research, indicate that the more favorable date was in 1 BC for Herod's death. Josephus and others point out the various other elements and events concerning Herod's death, his debilitating sickness and disease that led up to his death, his desire and action to seize upon several leaders, imprison them, and plan to have them executed at his death so that there would be mourning for them, if not for him. He knew that no one would mourn his death. He said they would rejoice at his death, and he wanted somebody to be mourning, so he was willing to have innocent people killed so that they could be mourned for at his death. The Lord changed that, and that did not happen. That was his plan. We also have the lunar eclipses that were visible near and before his death that are recorded also in history. In examining all of these, Josephus is one of those that indicates the preferred date for the eclipse to be January in 1 BC. This suggests that Jesus' birth would probably be about 4 BC, as he would be about two years old when his visitors arrived from the east before Herod's death in 1 BC. Here again, I would direct you to consider 
looking at Babylon to Bethlehem, where I go over more of that in detail. The Magi's visit, at that visit, it says that they came to the house where the young child was with his mother, Mary. Jesus then was about two years old, somewhere perhaps 18 months to two years. And their visit was very close to Herod's death in some way. We don't know the exact time period of that, but we do know that after the Magi's visit, not long after, Joseph is warned to escape Herod, to go to Egypt. And he was able to do that, and he escaped Herod shortly before his death, and he could only return after Herod's death when the angel said that Herod had died and he could go back home. So now we see the historicity or the accuracy of the fullness of the time in which Christ was born to be in the area of 4 BC or possibly 2 BC. So in the next episode, we want to look at some other scriptural facts that help us understand the actual time and season in the year of Jesus' birth and why this is so important as we dig for more treasures of the nativity. I pray that this is a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again as we continue in this awesome Christmas study, Treasures of the Nativity, enjoying biblical gems of Jesus' birth. God bless you today, in Jesus' name, amen.